Welcome to Policy Emma Combs, a data-focused conversation on trade-offs. I'm Carlos Carvalho from the Salem Center for Policy at the University of Texas at Austin. All right, so it's a pleasure to have with us today uh, Dr. Joseph Latipo from UCLA, professor of medicine and also of health policy. Thanks for joining me. And I think I want to start, like I'm asking a lot of our guests, um, to go back to March, to the beginning of, and perhaps even March, things were already happening on your end, given that you're in the hospital seeing patients and so on. But for a lot of us, that's when we started really thinking hard about, okay, this is serious. What do we need to do here? And, and one of the first things I read from, from, from you was already really facing very clearly the trade-offs that we're, we're facing at that point in time and putting it in a way that I didn't see coming from, from um, uh, a lot of uh, health officials in particular at that point. So let's try to go back to there and t- tell us what you're thinking. What was your sort of what, what evidence you're looking at? What are the models you're looking at and how you're reacting at that point in time? Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for that. And in, in terms of what I was thinking, what models, I think the big model at that time that most people were citing was the one out of, out of England. I forget the name of the group right now. But if you're a college. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and they did, I completely commend the job that they did. They got some things wrong, which is like, you know, but it was still useful and it was important to do something to give us, you know, some place to start. So, so that model predicted some things that were pretty dire based on the data that they were using. And now we know that they overestimated mortality, for example, they overestimated disease morbidity, which is totally fine. You know, we know more now than we did then. And, uh, and using that information, it, it painted a pretty dire picture. But it's really important to think about about what we are doing, you know, why we're doing it and where we're headed with what we're doing. And, you know, I spend a lot, I spend a lot of time, obviously I've spent a lot of time taking care of patients and I spent, um, I fortunately have a background, a quantitative background and and took some extra years in med school to get a PhD in, a, in health policy and mostly economics and statistics and decision analysis. So that 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 was very helpful for me in sort of thinking through the problem and thinking, um, and it also helped me, I think, think about the trade-offs. So kind of all together, that's what led me to my suggestion. And it was really clear that our leaders had no idea what they were doing. I mean, if you remember, it's, it's kind of been almost laughable, right? Like it was first, you know, groups no more than like 100 and 50, then 10 and this and that. And it's just like when people are changing their minds like that, they really, it, it, they, they don't know what they, they don't know what they're doing. Ultimately, that's like the bottom line, which is fine, you know? There was but, a lot of uncertainty um, at that point in time. Yeah, there was, there was. Um, but I would say that despite the challenge of the circumstances, there was a lot of information too. We had a lot of information from, um, from China and we also knew what the consequences of shutdowns would be. I mean, they, you don't need, you know, I can talk to my, I've got 
three little wonderful boys and I can talk to my oldest six and, and he can, he can think through what the consequences of, you know, no school and, you know, and people not being able to work and the fear and hysteria and all that, all that that can produce could be. It's, they're not complicated concepts and we don't need to know anything about COVID to be able to, um, to be able to think about the consequences of some of our decisions. So, so I, so I, you know, clearly it was, it was difficult clearly for a lot of people to sort of see through, um, see through sort of the fog and the haze and all that was happening, but it was still very clear what was likely to happen with our decisions. So, um, so, so that's sort of what led me to write. So when you went, I think the, the main point you were making that at that point in time was to say, keeping a lockdown short to give us time to prepare our health capacity. This is going to come and there's too much already uh, community spread for us to stop this. So, so oh, yeah. especially in this country. Right. Um, and, and what should be a short lockdown to perhaps give us some time, but to yeah. make it short so that people can have their lives back because otherwise yeah. it's not going to work. Yeah. What's the point? You know, where, where are we heading? I mean, we live to live. That's why we live. We don't live to, you know, to be fearful and, and, you know, and not educate our kids and not be able to pursue the things in life we want. Um, and which is not to say that people shouldn't be fearful or shouldn't take whatever precautions they want. It's more just to say that that shouldn't be forced on everyone. So what, what was, what was the reaction of your colleagues? Were your colleagues, uh, uh, uh did they have a similar reaction to the, the situation as you or, or, cause I think, unfortunately, those voices, to me at least, my perception, those voices were somehow um, uh, um, not as large as the voices saying, stay at home, don't dare to go out oh, as long as it takes. Oh, man. Yeah, no question. And that itself should give people pause, you know, over policy issues. I mean, over moral issues. You probably hear my kids in the background. So over moral issues, you know, we, you know, there's every reason to believe that, you know, we can have uniform beliefs as a society but over policy issues it's usually not such a good idea if everyone is saying the same thing and not really allowing dissent and there was definitely an atmosphere that was pushing out dissent or at least was was at the very least hostile to it and uh, and my my perspectives and my wife and I were like on the same page. We've been on the same page the whole time. And in general, my colleagues have not received it particularly favorably. And that's fine. You know, um, although I, I struggled even then. And I, and um, one of the things I do and I, I advise other people that I work with to do is to really try and understand the opinions of other people. So I, you know, I spend a lot of time trying to very well understand <laughs> my three, oh goodness, the voice, um, what, um, what other people thought and why. And I, I think I understood why, but I, I struggled because it, it really should, just as it was very obvious to me why, because it basically it meant, you know, their goal was to like, to take a, a just to stop COVID. You know, that was their goal. At all. That. It, it, well, that's the thing. I think the, the cost part wasn't really internalized. It was just, we got to stop COVID. We got to stop COVID. And, and we're seeing that, you know, the costs have been, 
have been um, more than my mind can fathom. We hear the numbers about um, about you know unemployment, and we hear the numbers about higher rates of anxiety and depression. Um, we don't see you know what's happening with kids in particular. There, it's ironic because they suffer they suffer the least from the disease, but there's definitely suffering the most from um, from what we've done about the disease, our response. And, you know, the loss of structure, and we're really lucky personally, you know, our kids, we've been very careful not to sort of fill them with fear about the virus and things like that. And they've been fine. They haven't been getting a lot of great school education. We do what we can at home. Uh, but, you know, a, a, lot of, a lot of children are undoubtedly suffering greatly from the loss of the social connections and from the education. And they don't have homes as, 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 as you know, good as ours homes, in terms of, fortunate as ours in terms of, you know, access to things and so on, right? So you can see in some situations children have a much harder time than, than, than our kids are having. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and not to mention all the young people who've lost employment. I think you know older people have sort of you know have savings and more, more, um, more of a nest to sort of you know be able to weather out the shutdowns. Um, probably have done better, even though, even though they've suffered also from the social isolation. But it's it's been it's been quite costly, and 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 I think if we, had, you know, it's not that I want. It's, it's it, obviously we, we want to do as much as we can to prevent people from dying. Um, but we've just, we've really gone about it in a very fear fueled way that just hasn't served us. And COVID's still here and it will continue to be here. So let's, let's let's forward to now then, like to, to, to where we are. And, and, and we learned a lot more about the disease. I think uh, um, uh, we're all wrong in the sense of how, how severe, right, the mortality of the disease is. And, yeah. and it's, uh, thankfully, it's, it's not, not as bad as we thought. Uh, and we are at a stage now where we have, at least in the U.S., a number of different states opening up, people getting back slowly to their lives and, and in various stages uh, across. The, and that's true for other countries as well. So where, where, where do you see this, thing, this moving forward now? What's your sort of expectation of... of how does it going to unfold? Yeah, I think about that quite a lot. And, you know, with this, with the, um, with the terrible um, killing of, of George Floyd, that's, I think that's also changed the dynamics because we've basically gone from this environment where, at least in some states, like in California, there was tremendous um, sort of, restrictions. There were, there've been tremendous restrictions from the governor in Los Angeles, from the mayor in LA County on people's activities and gathering and all this stuff. And the, um, the protests have blown that open. They've completely blown that open. And, and it is a political component. You know, there are people who tried to protest the shutdowns and they only were criticized. Um, these protests are much larger and, um, and, and they are not, they don't face the same criticism and they shouldn't face the same criticism. In fact, none of the protests should have faced criticism, right? It's people absolutely have a God-given right to express their um, opinions and and where they could get away with restrictions they've gotten away with them and these protests have just blown that open and they can't it makes it much harder to get away with restrictions so um so 
so I think what we're what we're going to see is um, is like this continued shift of power from leadership back to the people, which is um, great. And um, and so um, and so I mean, so I think in the public space, that's there are a lot of social advantages to that because people need other people. We that's that's. That's how we work. That's how we thrive. That's how we find happiness. So, um, so that part is good um, in terms of policy restrictions on workplaces and you know gyms and you know whatever other locations, schools. I, I think that in fact this again this this um, the how things are transitioning uh, with the protests with a lot of people just having a lot of fatigue from the shutdowns and the restrictions, um, you know, I think that there may be some room to see more kids back in school, even in a place like LA that's tried to be, you know, sort of on the, on the, on the extreme of, of really trying to hold things down and control things. Um, so I guess, yeah. So those are my main. Okay. So, so that, that's the good side, I suppose, of, 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 uh, but how about the disease? What's now given that what we learn and what has been your experience, I guess, lately in the hospital and how are things progressing? Are you guys preparing for a big wave or do you think it's going to come or, or what is the evidence you're looking out to, to prepare for that? Yeah, great. That's a great question. I mean, I, I think the cases are going to keep increasing. Um, And, um, you know, there are already a lot of preparations happen in our hospital and other hospitals for capacity. So, so that's good. We also know even more now. So we know the people who are really, really at risk, you know, and, and that really points to people living in nursing homes and skilled nursing facilities. And by the way, that doesn't mean that they should not be able to see other people. I think it just means that we need to think harder about how to live with this. So maybe we need more frequent testing among like their family members so they can visit them. Um, or maybe, you know, the visits should happen outside or other changes should be made. But we know a lot more. And um, in terms of a surge, I would be very surprised to see that outside of New York City. Very, very surprised. The reason is because we know so much now and people are voluntarily, voluntarily doing stuff to reduce their risk. Like people are doing that. So I think it's unlikely that, um, that we'll see a surge. I imagine, I expect that cases will continue to increase. There's no escaping that, right? So the, the we, we, yeah, I don't think so. You know, short of, I don't think so. I certainly pray we get really lucky and it disappears. Is but I, I don't think so. I think this is, it's here to stay at least for a while. And even after a vaccine comes, it will, you know, assuming we have one that's effective, it will continue to be here. And just to close it up, as a, I know you we were short on time. Um, Have you seen improvements in the way you guys are able to treat patients? Um, is that something that we're learning as we go and, and we're getting better at it? Or, or unfortunately, something that really it is what it is and there's not much we can do? Yeah, I think there have been improvements. Um, you know, there's we've learned about proning of patients, positioning them to improve their, um, their respiration. I've seen a lot of literature about delaying intubation. So... Um, Uh, and some patients tolerating low levels of oxygen better than previously thought. And, you know, and we've had some 
um, some favorable reports in terms of drug efficacy for treatment. So that's all pointing in the right direction. And, and, and I would not be surprised if we see even more um, another favorable agent. There are just a, a, an unbelievable number of clinical trials ongoing right now. So, you know, I, I, I would expect that we'll find at least one or two more like robust effective treatments for the condition, which would be great. That's fantastic. That's, uh, that's a good end, good, good, good high note to, to, to end this. Uh, thank you for all that you, you, you do and all the writings you did. I think were very, very helpful for me to read and, and, and I think to help people understand different ways to think about this problem, as, as especially as people that try to evaluate public policy like I do and like my students in the class that I teach. Um, it's always very important for us to focus on trade-offs and, and you, 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 were, you were there from the very beginning, so, so thank you for that. All right, thanks. Thanks, Carlos. Thanks for listening to Policy at McCombs. 